Section 27 of Home Education Series, Volume 4, Ourselves, Book 1, Self-Knowledge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Home Education Series, Volume 4, Ourselves, Book 1, Self-Knowledge, by Charlotte Mason. Part 3, The House of Heart, Lords of the Heart. 1. Love. Chapter 11. Love's Lords in Waiting. Gladness. It is a seemly fashion to be glad. The merry heart goes all the day. Gladness enough in the world for all. Yorkshire people say that their bread is sad when it is heavy, does not rise. It is just so with ourselves. We are like a sad loaf when we are heavy, do not rise to the sunshine, to the voices of our friends, to interesting sights, to kindness, love, or any good thing. When we do rise to these things, when our hearts smile because a ray of sunshine creeps in through the window, because a bird sings, because a splash of sunlight falls on the trunk of a dark tree, because we have seen a little child's face, why, then we are glad. Carlyle, whom we do not think of as a very happy man, used to say that no one need be unhappy who could see a spring day or the face of a little child. Indeed, there is gladness enough in the world for us all. Or, to speak more exactly, there is a fountain of gladness in everybody's heart only waiting to be unstopped. Grown-up people sometimes say that they envy little children when they hear the gladness bubbling out of their hearts in laughter, just as it bubbles out of the birds in song. But there is no room for regret. It is simply a case of a choked spring. Remove the rubbish, and gladness will flow out of the weary heart as freely as out of the child's. Gladness springs in sorrow and pain. But, you will say, how can people be glad when they have to bear sorrow, anxiety, want, and pain? It is not these things that stop up our gladness. The sorrowful and anxious wife of a dying husband, the mother of a dying child, will often make the sick room merry with quips and cranks, a place of hearty gladness. It is not that the mother or wife tries to seem glad for the sake of the sufferer. There is no pretending about gladness. No one can be taken in by smiles that are put on. The fact is that love teaches the nurse to unstop the fount of gladness in her own heart for the sake of the sufferer dear to her. And out come lots of merry words and little jokes, smiles and gaiety, things better than any medicine for the sick. In pain, too, it is not impossible to be glad. Have we not all been touched by merry sayings that have come from suffering lips? I doubt if Margaret Roper could help a smile through her tears at the merry quips her father, Sir Thomas More, made on his way to the scaffold. We commonly make a mistake about gladness. We think of it as a sort of ice cream or chocolate, very good when it comes, but not to be expected every day. But rejoice evermore, says the Apostle, that is, be glad all the time. We laugh now and then, we smile now and then, but the fountain of gladness within us should rise always, and so it will if it be not hindered. Gladness is catching. Before we consider the demons of gladness, let us make ourselves sure of one thing. We cannot be glad by ourselves, and we cannot be sad, that is, heavy, by ourselves. Our gladness rejoices the people we come across. 
as our heaviness depresses them. A London mother once wrote to me of how she took her little golden-haired daughter of two out for her first walk. And the little girl smiled at the policeman, and he was glad, and kissed her hand to some French laundresses working in a cellar, and they were glad, and smiled at the crossing sweeper, and generally went on her way, like a little queen dispensing smiles and gladness. A still prettier story was told by a Bible woman in a big town who went out of doors, depressed by the sordid cares and offenses of her neighbors. And a small child, sitting in a gutter, looked up at her and smiled. And in the gladness of that little child, she went gaily for the rest of the day. There is nothing so catching as gladness, and it is good for each of us to know that we carry joy for the needs of our neighbors. But this is treasure that we give without knowing it, or being any the poorer for what we have given away. Gladness is perennial. Now, if we have made it clear to ourselves that there is in each of us a fountain of gladness, not an intermittent, but a perennial spring, enough and to spare for every moment of every year of the longest life, not to be checked by sorrow, pain, or poverty, but often flowing with the greater force and brightness because of these obstructions, if we are quite sure that this golden gladness is not our own private property, but is meant to enrich the people we pass in the street, or live with in the house, or work with, or play with, we shall be interested to discover why it is that people go about with a black dog on their shoulder, the cloud of gloom on their brow, why there are people heavy in movement, pale of countenance, dull and irresponsive. You will wish to find out why it is that children may go to a delightful party, picnic, haymaking, or whatnot, and carry a sullen countenance through all the fun and frolic. Why young people may be taken to visit here or travel there, and the most delightful scenes might be marked with a heavy black spot in the map of their memories, because they found no gladness in them. Why middle-aged people sometimes go about with sad and unsmiling countenances. Why the aged sometimes find their lot, all crosses, and no joys. This question of gladness or sadness has little to do with our circumstances. It is true that we should do well to heed the advice of Marcus Aurelius. Quote, do not let your head run upon that which is none of your own, but pick out some of the best of your circumstances and consider how eagerly you would wish for them were they not in your possession. End quote. We are sad when we are sorry for ourselves. Let us get the good out of our circumstances by all means, but as a matter of fact, it is not our circumstances but ourselves that choke the spring. We are sad and not glad, because we are sorry for ourselves. Somebody has trodden on our toe, somebody has said the wrong word, and somehow offended our sense of self-importance. And behold, the demon of self-pity digs diligently at his rubbish heap, and casts in all manner of poor and paltry things to check the flow of our spring of gladness. Some people are sorry for themselves by moments, some for days together, and some carry all their life long a grudge against their circumstances, or burn with resentment against their friends. Gladness a duty. We need only look this matter in the face to see how sad and wrong a thing it is not to be glad, and to say to ourselves, I can, because I ought. Help comes to those who endeavor and who ask. We may have to pull ourselves up many times a day, but every time we give chase to the black dog, the easier we shall find it to be gay and good. The outward and visible sign of gladness is cheerfulness, for how can a dour face 
and sour speech keep company with a bubbling gladness within. The inward and spiritual grace is contentment. For how can a person who is glad at heart put himself out and be dissatisfied about the little outside things of life? Rejoice evermore. And again I say, rejoice. Appendix. Questions relating to gladness. 1. Why is it inexcusable in us not to be glad? 2. Show that gladness springs in sorrow and pain. 3. Show that gladness is catching. 4. That gladness is perennial. 5. Why, then, are people gloomy and irresponsive? 6. Show that gladness is a duty. End of section 27